We're so glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, some of you are. Would you rather be in the hospital? Uh, that's, that's an only evangelist thing I used to hear when I was a kid growing up since we're going retro today. How many of you would rather be here than the best hospital in town? And then they'd start preaching away. But uh, that's old. That's really old. Sorry about that. Uh, like I said earlier, we have sheets in the back that have a scripture on it and some questions. And we're actually going to be doing more teaching than preaching today. And we're going to do some, uh, some interactivity. And we want you to uh, look at the scripture together in some small groups. And then we're going to discuss the, uh, the findings together before we uh, actually look into the word uh, a little later on. So if you don't have a paper yet, why don't you run back there and grab one? And then I want you to gather with about three or four people in your neighborhood. And we're just going to read the scripture together out loud. And there are pens back there for you as well that you can use to scribble with. And what I'd like for you to do as we're reading through uh, is to highlight some words or some thoughts that really jump out at you. And then we're going to talk about it together as a group. Uh, first in your small group and then together as a congregation. So, uh, as, and while, you have, while you're getting your paper, I want you to think of one other conversation starter for your group. What's the most exciting thing you did this summer? Now, I know that's kind of a uh, cryptic question when you think about the fact that summer's almost over. <laughs> we don't like the sound of that. But uh, be thinking about the most exciting thing you did all summer and share that with your group. All right? All right, before we look to the scripture together, does anybody want to share their most exciting summer activity so far? Anyone? What was your most exciting summer activity? Going in the pool. Going in the pool. Well, that felt good yesterday, didn't it? Not the only place that felt good yesterday. Anyone else? Yeah, back here. Ah, finding crabs at the beach. What beach were you at? Mississippi? Awesome. I bet that was fun. Anyone else? Yes, over here. What was your most exciting summer thing that you did? We didn't see dolphins? My... <laughs> Maybe he did. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anyone else? Back here. I, I didn't catch it. I'm sorry. One of our cats just had kittens. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. Are its eyes open yet? The kitten's eyes opened yet? Just had the, oh, wow, just brand new kittens. Awesome. All right, let's read the scripture together, and you can just follow along on your, on your paper there, and I'll read it out loud. Therefore, be thinking about what, what stands out to you, and then you and your group can discuss it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, take the next about two or three minutes and just discuss with your group what stands out as you read that scripture together. Okay, have you had a chance? I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing some rich conversation. I even have a microphone here so that everyone can listen in. And uh, if you're afraid of doing that, why well, you can just say it quietly and I'll try to repeat it. But I like it if you say it best. All right, there's something lost in the translation when I try to repeat what you say. So anyone want to start us out with some insights, some words that uh, you noticed or some thoughts? Yes. Um, I was just struck by the words confidence, full assurance, and unswervingly, because I think in my own weakness, my temptation is to both doubt myself and then also then to doubt the Lord. Like, wait, am I good enough? And then wait, is the Lord really going to do what he said? And so those words just stuck out to me as saying, yes, you can have full assurance both that my heart is cleansed and that I can keep that hope in the Lord at all times. Anyone else? Yes. Well, this is still going off the one she said. I like, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we perf profess. And the picture I get is, you know, being in the car and all these little shiny objects or, you know, things, oh, I want to do that and swerve over to do that. Or wait, no, that looks like fun, swerve over. Instead, having your destination in mind and with all the distractions on the side, you unswervingly continue to your destination. Eric. Spur. That one word tells us, you know, all about the reason why we come here every Sunday. And we look at each other and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this and we can even have joy. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. The word spur, that's actually one of the words I went after all week. And Clayton talked about it in the, in the other service as well. Anyone else? By the way, the word spur, as we'll find later on, is just what it sounds like. <laughs> it's a sharp object that motivates, <laughs> okay? Anyone else? Yes. Jared. Before Jesus, only one person in the entire Israel group could come, truly could come near to God in the, in the Holy of Holies and then sprinkle the blood in this you see, open the through the open the open for us through the curtain. We can draw near to God. Our hearts are all sprinkled now. So just the total change what Jesus brought. Awesome, thank you. Got another one back here. Yes, I like the part about let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Awesome, let us draw near. Any more going once? If we do this long enough, I won't have to do anything. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for sharing those good insights. The, 
the, word that, the first word that catches my attention, and I'm going to be mentioning several of them this morning, but the first one that catches my attention is the word therefore. I've heard it said before, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to see what it's there for. And so what I did was I looked back through the rest of the book of Hebrews, and I saw that through the entire book, the author was building a case for the new and the living way, which was better than anything they had experienced before. That there was a new covenant, there was a new and living way, there was a new sacrifice, there was a new everything, and everything about it was superior. In fact, I, I read from a, uh, a, uh, a ministry called Knowing, uh, Bible Knowing Jesus, and I, this gave a very good synopsis of the book of Hebrews, and I'd like to read it quickly for you. This book portrays Christ as our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. It shows us his heavenly ministry at God's right hand, resting from the completed work. The book reveals to us that Christ is the substance of, the old, of all the Old Testament shadows. He is greater than Moses, greater than Aaron, greater than the angels, greater than the tabernacle, greater than the sacrifices. In times past, God has spoken by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, it says in Hebrews 1.1. And this is the line I like. Jesus is everything that God wanted to say to us. Think about that. Jesus is everything that God wanted to say to us. The old covenant said, stay away. The new covenant says, draw near. The old covenant said, not enough. The new covenant said, complete. The old covenant said, do, 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 do. Don't, 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 don't. And Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. It is complete. Now, having said that, we come to the 10th chapter of Hebrews, and all of a sudden, the tone changes. He's done building this theological case for the new and the living way, and then he says, now what are we going to do about it? It's a little bit like uh, I was trying to think of an illustration. I, I thought of a, uh, a man who wanted to send his son off to med school, and he didn't have the resources he needed, so he he mortgaged his house so that his son could go to the best school in the land. And whether it be Johns Hopkins University or Harvard University, you can pick one. He sent him to this university, and he went through his four years of college and then four years of, of doctorate and then his year of residency, and he finally got the plaque on the wall that says he was a doctor. And so he comes home to show it to his dad, and his dad says, okay. I've mortgaged my house. I've given everything so that you could have this education. What are you going to do with it? And he looks at his dad and says, I'm just going to keep partying and hang the plaque on my wall. That's what I went to school for. And that's what we do a lot of times as Christians. We shout about the glorious uh, uh, miracle of the cross and of our salvation and of, and of grace, being saved by, by faith through grace. And, and then God says, what are you going to do with all that? Are you just going to celebrate it? Or is it going to change the way you live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? And this, in the book of Hebrews, the, the author suddenly takes a turn and says, now here is how we're going to get in the game. God doesn't need bench warmers. <laughs> he needs participants. And that's what August is about for us here at Third Church. I don't know. I mentioned it earlier. I don't know if you're familiar with kind of how our ministry year goes here at Third. 
but from September to July, Pastor Kevin uh, prays and prays and receives a vision for the, the direction that he wants us to go, and then the sermon series are all tied around that. This last year, we've learned, we've had so much good teaching from Ecclesiastes, from Mark, from James, and from Psalms. And then in the month of August, we take this month. Last year, we did Summer of Story. It's, it's a little bit off the record. It's a little bit okay. We're, before we enter into the next ministry year, well, to this August, we're going to go with what can we do? What are we going to do with all this teaching we received for 11 months? Is it just going to be a plaque on the wall? Or is it going to be something that transforms the way we live? And the writer of Hebrews has some advice for us. So I'd like to continue reading. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, that word confidence keeps showing up, by a new and a living way. I love that phrase. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. Remember when the curtain was torn in two and the presence of God was made available to each one of us from the youngest to the oldest. We all have access to go in with confidence to the holy place. That is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, and I love that thought of the great high priest. It says in Hebrews 4, it says, we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. And because of that, we can go with confidence into his throne and have help in time of need, it says. That's the great high priest. So not only did he provide salvation, he's ever living to make intercession for us today the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus Christ, the Son, are interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. I don't know if we get a hold of that sometimes. When I, when I get through, go through one of my bouts of discouragement that happen every now and then, it's hard for me to remember that Jesus knows my name and that he's interceding for me at that very moment in the throne room of God. Jesus is saying, that's my son who I died for. He's speaking to the Father on our behalf in real time. That's what's happening as, as the high priest makes intercession for us. And then we get into the, what I call the lettuce sermon in the Bible. There's several times it says, let us do this or let us do that. And, and we're going to talk about it now. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled. All of these have been mentioned by, by you folks already. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. I'm going to stop here for just a little bit, and, and it just dawned on me this week as I was studying this that I believe that the writer of Hebrews is citing the two sacraments of the church that we celebrate. Communion, our hearts sprinkled with the blood of the covenant. You remember in the Old Testament uh, how the, the blood of the lamb was sprinkled over the mercy seat so that their sins would be atoned for. And we remember that whenever we come to the table at communion. And then it talks about baptism, the other sacrament of it. He says, and having our bodies washed with pure water. I'm going to get off on one of my tangents here for just a little bit and talk about baptism. Because I, think we, I don't think we have a clue of how powerful it can be. One of the, <laughs> one of the things that ticked me off the most about COVID, to be honest with you, was when we, we were just ready as a church to go into this uh, Easter season and we were going to have baptism for people who wanted to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And we were planning on that Easter Sunday to have a great celebration and we all know what happened. And I, 
I don't, I don't think COVID came from Wuhan. I think it came from the pits of hell, to be honest, to tell you the truth. And uh, I, I think it, it was an attempt to disrupt what God wanted to do locally, worldwide, any way you look at it. But as a personal note, I was so disappointed that we couldn't follow through with that. And so I want to put a plug in. Our church went through two years of study and talk and discussion, and we've even had a vote about changing our view of baptism so that baptism could be a, a, a continuing work that, that as a believer in Christ, yes, many of you were baptized as infants, but what about the opportunity after you've professed your faith in Christ to be able to, to go through that beautiful type and, and picture of being buried with Christ in baptism and being raised into new life in Christ. I think there's a powerful thing that happens. I can give you testimony after testimony after testimony of people who, who went through the waters of baptism. No, it didn't save them. God's grace saved them. But it, it made a picture to the whole world of what had happened inside. It was an outward manifestation of an inward work. And it's a beautiful thing. And I can get excited about this. I, I'll tell one or two stories if I can. Uh, one was a, a fellow, I was pastoring a small church up in Hampton. We'd just done a church plant. And one of the, one of the elders in my church was a wonderful, uh, God-loving person. He grew up Lutheran. He'd been baptized as an infant. But he had this incredible fear of people and of water. <laughs> and uh, he would, his name was Dave. And, and you, could, you could walk up to Dave and if I walked up to him to start a conversation, he could be looking at me. And as soon as I came, he'd just turn his back to me. And he'd talk to me like this. It wasn't because he didn't like me. He just was afraid of eye contact. He was fearful of eye contact. He was fearful of that close relationship. And to top that off, he was scared of water. But God spoke to this old Luther and he says, you need to be baptized. And he said, Lord, well, I've been baptized. So he came and talked to me about it. And I said, I'll tell you what, Dave. Maybe there's some things that God wants to set free in your life. And maybe by you following in obedience to the scripture, being baptized and what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about, maybe God wants to do a liberating work in your life. And he says, okay, how many people can you get in the tank with you so you can guarantee you won't drown me? <laughs> and I said, we'll bring in as many people as we want, as we can. And, uh, and so uh, we went to a church that had a baptismal tank, and, and me and I think we had two other elders. We wanted to be safe for Dave. He didn't want, he didn't want to go under without some help in there. And when, when he was baptized, God did a phenomenal work in his life, and he became an engaging uh, follower of Jesus Christ. He could carry on a conversation with anyone. He wasn't scared of water after that. He'd go out swimming. God did a work in his life because he followed in obedience. Now... I don't know what all of your opinions are on baptism, but I think the Bible is very clear that baptism is something that, that believers were to practice. It was the first step of obedience all through the book of Acts. He said, repent and be baptized. He said, when you come to faith, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When he sent people out, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and making disciples. And, and uh, there is something powerful that happens when we walk in obedience in that. My mom used to tell, put it this way. She said, there's a lot of people who struggle in their Christian life because they're still, they, they've got the old man following them around wherever they go. They're chained to their old man. They said, it's like dragging a corpse. We say we're a new creation in Christ, but we're dragging around this old man. She said, you need to give him a proper burial. 
That's what my mom used to say. That's how she, uh, how she described baptism. Give the old man a proper burial so he's, till you're done with him. You know, we as Christians, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We are not, I, I, I cringe whenever I hear, oh, we're just sinners saved by grace. We aren't sinners any longer. We still sin, but we are not sinners. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And baptism is that act whereby we say to the world, I am dead to sin. I am alive to Christ. I am dead to sin. I am alive to Christ. And there is power in that. So I've I don't, didn't ask permission to give this plug today, but I did it anyway. I think baptism can be a powerful thing in the life of the believer. Now, I want to read you just one email, uh, part, parts of it. We have a young guy uh, who just recently had a radical encounter with Christ. Grew up in the church, spent 10 years of his life doing everything but church. Uh, in the drug culture, if you heard his story... It's a sad, sad story of how the enemy got in and uh, messed with his mind and his heart, and he ran from God. Just a few weeks, uh, months back, he came back home as a prodigal, and uh, he says, can I be baptized? And I said, I'd love, I'd love for you to be baptized. He says, can we do it out in the river instead of in the church? I said, we can do it anywhere you want. But I said, it's not just for you and me. I, I said, I want you to invite your friends and your family. He says, oh, yeah, they'll be there, he said. And so this afternoon, this week, I got this email from him. He said, and I've never had this happen before. He gave the order of service for his own baptism service. <laughs> he said, it starts, welcome and start in prayer from my dad. My dad's going to pray over it first. And then we're going to listen to two songs, Weary Traveler by Jordan St. Cyr. Love the song. And then The Hymn of Heaven by Phil Wickham. He said, then I'm going to talk. I'm going to read from Colossians 2, 11, and 12 that talks about the old man and the new man. And then I'm going to talk about Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 that talks about the faithfulness of God. He said, and this is his, his notes, what he's going to say, our burial of our old self results in the beginning of new life in Christ. And it's just the start, he has in capital letters. Through the blood of Jesus, we have hope and everlasting life. And then he says, Phil, you can finish up and say whatever you want to say. And, and finally, he said, I want you to invite all of my family, anybody that wants to come in the water and pray over me to do that, and then you can dunk me in the Des Moines River. So this afternoon at 3 o'clock, I'm dunking somebody in the Des Moines River to the glory, for the glory of God. Amen. This young man recognizes that when we follow Jesus in obedience, there is a, there is a powerful result. I don't know how I got off on this except <laughs> having our bodies washed with pure water. <laughs> uh, it's amazing how far I can get off track. But I just wanted to share that. Maybe that's one of the action steps that God might be speaking to you about in this coming year. Maybe you've struggled with the old man. I'm not talking about your dad. Maybe you've struggled with the old man and you need to give him a proper burial instead of dragging that corpse around the rest of your life. So... If the, if the Holy Spirit leads you to that, talk to me, talk to Katie, we'll set you up. Whether it's in the Des Moines River or right here in the church, we'd love to do that. All right. And then it was mentioned earlier, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. And I love that last line. My salvation is not dependent on the power of my grip. I'm going to hold on unswervingly, but my salvation is dependent on him who is faithful. 
He who promised is faithful. And then he said, let us consider. This is our actual text for today, so I've gone for 20 minutes and haven't even got to my text. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Before I talk about the two words that I really wanted to talk about, spur and encourage, I wanted to share one thing about meeting together. There is something so powerful about us being able to gather together. I was, I was visiting with someone just uh, very recently who had tragically lost a son in an accident a year ago. This was a man who had gone through Bible college, was educated to become a pastor, never went that route. Instead, he became bitter toward the church, the father, and had lived a life apart from God for the most part. And now his son had tragically been killed. And I spent a lot of time with him in the office, and I asked him, I said, do you have any support group at all? And he said, my wife. I said, anyone else? He said, no. I said, you have a church family? He said, no, I got hurt by the church, and I haven't been back. Now, first of all, I want to say it happens. We hurt each other, and it, it's... It stinks. I hate that that happens. But I also want to say that at a time when you need it most, the family can be there for you. You say, well, I've been through some tough times and maybe the church didn't arise to the occasion. I'm sorry about that. I am really, definitely, genuinely sorry if we have not done our part. But I guarantee you, if you choose to be a lone ranger... The time's going to come when you're going to need family. You're going to need one another. Clayton was saying in the other message, 50 sometimes in the New Testament, it talks about one another. This whole month, we're going to be talking about one another. And it's so important that we, are, that we, be, that we be a family to one another. And so we don't have to sit in an office someday after going through a tragic experience like that and no one is there. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. Times are going to get hard. Times are going to get tough. Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Now, he said, let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds and encouraging one another even so much the more as you see the day approaching. The two words that, that I've studied for the last two weeks are spur and encourage. One involves a sharp motivation, the other a bid to persevere but both involve coming alongside. I think that's a key. If you look at the, at the uh, Greek text, the word spur means to sharpen alongside. The word is paraxuno. Para means come alongside. Zuno means to poke a little bit <laughs> with a sharp object. Anyone else ever need a little poke? <laughs> I do. Sometimes I get settled in my comfort zone and... and uh, I read a quote about that just this last week by an engineer named Mizanir Rahman. He said, comfort is a drug. Once you get used to it, it becomes addicting. Give a weak person consistent stimulation, good food, cheap entertainment, and they'll throw their ambitions right out the window. The comfort zone is where dreams go to die. Hmm. 
There's a lot of us that have settled for comfort instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to prod us once in a while with a sharp edge of God's word. There's a story about how the American eagle builds its nest, and you've probably heard the story of uh, before they put all the soft, fluffy stuff in, they bring rocks and sharp objects, twigs, things with a sharp edge, and they weave those together in the base of the nest, and then they cover it with feathers and with straw and with uh, more fluffy stuff, and as, as the uh, new, newborns are hatched and, and they feel the comfort of that nest, eventually the mother eagle will start to ruffle it up just a little bit so that they feel the sharp pricks of the nest beneath. Because if she didn't do it, they'd stay there for the rest of their lives. She ruffles that nest so that they are uncomfortable in that place and so that they will soar and fly. And, and that's the picture that is given here, to spur one another, but uh, paraxuno, to sharpen alongside, to spur one another. It's all right. It's all right for us to keep each other accountable. Now, Clayton also used the word inspire, and I like that word too, either translation, but sometimes I need more than inspiration. <laughs> if I'd have had them, I would have worn cowboy boots with spurs on this morning just as an object lesson, but I didn't have any spurs, so sorry about that. Once in a while, the Holy Spirit or one of the people who are closest to you will give you a little jab and say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, can I come alongside and help you? Perigs, you know, you come alongside to sharpen. The next word is encourage. The Greek word for that is parakaleo, or to come alongside, to call and to bid. And the picture of that is in a, uh, a marathon race, how people uh, in the Chicago Marathon, Clayton was just sharing this in the message earlier, uh, that they'll, they'll have runners that come alongside during different courses of the race and encourage them, encourage them. He said one time they had a, a church, he was working in a church that was right along the marathon route, and instead of having church that Sunday, they would all come out there with signs and with music, they'd be playing music, and they'd holler out, number 19, you can do it, you in the yellow shirt, you can do it, you can do it, and just this coming alongside to encourage, not shouting from the grandstands, not shouting from the cheap seats, but coming alongside and saying, you can do this. The thing that I noticed about both of these words, one is a sharp motivation, one is a word of encouragement, both of them start with the, with the prefix para, which means come alongside. So we're not throwing a knife or a missile and saying, straighten your life up. We're not hollering from the grandstand saying, get it together. We're coming alongside as family, spurring one another on to love and good deeds and encouraging one another even as we see the day approaching. The last story I want to share is of the Israelites in Egypt. They had it pretty good for 390 years. You remember the story how Jacob and Joseph all ended up in Egypt? They had the very best farmland in the country, in the land of Goshen. And because of that, they began to prosper as a people. And they grew in 430 years, they grew, or 390 years, I should say, they grew from 70 people to a nation of almost 2 million. That's a pretty fast growth rate. God was blessing them. They had it good in Goshen. They had the best farmland they, in, in that whole Middle East region. But God had given them a promise. And they had a choice, either to stay in the comfort of Goshen or travel to the land of promise that God had promised to the father Abraham and the descendants after them. 
And I'm convinced that if they'd had it easy in Egypt, they'd have stayed there. But the Bible says God brought up Pharaoh to ruffle the nest, <laughs> to let the sharp objects come through. And that, the sharp objects for them were slavery. And it took some sharp motivation to move them from comfort to promise. And I wanna, that, that's something I want to leave with you today. Sometimes it takes a sharp motivation to move us from our comfort zone to the things that God has promised us. And so the, the questions that I have at the end of your sheet there that I'd like for you to consider as our praise team comes into place, how have I become addicted to comfort? These are personal questions that only you can answer. I can, I can answer that for myself because I know that God's been ruffling my nest. And it's so easy to say back to the Lord, yeah, but Lord, <laughs> this, is so, this is so comfortable. Can't I just stay here a little while? Have I become addicted to comfort? In what ways have, I, have this, has that happened for me? And in what may, ways may God be ruffling my nest? We might think it's, it's uh, a nasty boss <laughs> that's ruffling, the, but it may, it may be God working through him to ruffle your nest. We might think it's a financial setback, but it might be God's way of ruffling your nest so that you're willing to try something new so that instead of settling for comfort, you'll go for the promise. What are the promises that God has made in your life that you've forgotten about? I have one that's very clear to me as I was praying about this this week. And I don't have time to go into the whole story, but God had given me a promise 22 years ago about ministry. And I've tried to forget that over and over and over again. And every time I do, God ruffles up the nest and says, no, you're back in the game, buddy. <laughs> like it or not, you're back in the game. What ways may God be doing that for you? And then the last question, the song that they're going to sing is one of my favorites. It's called Take Courage. But there's a line and it says, there's a yes in our hearts and it carries through eternity. Simple obedience changes history. What God, might God be stirring in your heart? As we sing that today, answer those questions as best you can. And uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us uh, to go into action, to be the people of God. So praise team, lead us as we ponder this with the Holy Spirit this morning.